Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Satsung Podcast. Uh, today on the podcast, we have Kyle Kingsbury, who is a former UFC fighter, uh, formerly the head um, of human optimization over at Onnit. Um, he is a psychonaut. He is a coach at Fit for Service and just a, a really interesting mind, uh, phenomenal thinker. As always, uh, today's podcast is brought to you by Onnit. Um, on it as a purveyor of fine supplements, um, whether you're trying to get in phenomenal shape, uh, you want to get your gut biome in order, you want to improve cognitive function, um, they have a wide array of supplements for whatever your goals are, third party tested, quality ingredients, no bullshit, um, I am, uh, I'm a huge proponent of on it because I've been using their stuff for years and I can tell you from my experience, it absolutely works. I do not go on stage and I do not do a podcast unless I have taken alpha brain. Um, the, the differences, uh, on word recall flow state and just being able to be present. It's night and day. Uh, my experience with alpha brain is how I began trying all of the other, uh, all of the other on it products. Um, so yeah, head to onnit.com, use code SATSUNG, and they will give you a discount at checkout. Um, without further ado, this is Mr. Kyle Kingsbury. All right, Kyle Kingsbury, welcome to the SATSUNG podcast, dude. How are you? I'm fantastic, brother. How are you? Good. I'm happy to have you on, dude. I've been on kind of a, a podcast hiatus. I took like three weeks off. Um just traveling and shit and i was like super gung-ho about finding guests for a while and then i've been talking to on it so there's like this weird period of like just chilling but i wanted to um i wanted to have you on before i get busy again and and go start playing music again but i'm super excited to talk to you dude we have a lot of mutual friends and i don't know much about you other than uh your fighting career um so <laughs> so i'm excited to uh to dig in with you, man. Um, so I want to talk first about just kind of where I know you from and, and how you got to where you are now. First off, dude, I really commend you on your transition out of fighting. It's like, it's such a common thing that we see dudes either fight way too long um, or when they stop fighting, they just don't find another thing. You know, like it's such their identity that they leave MMA and they're like, um well shit <laughs> you know now what <laughs> and you've had you've had such a graceful transition and really just built um an amazing life um for yourself and you're such a neat example of um something we'll get into later which i think is this like new era of masculinity but how did you transition out of fighting and into what you're doing now yeah that's a great question i had so i had a boxing coach you probably saw him um he passed away but his name was witsi or arturo mara and uh Huizzi, as we called him at aka was uh mexican and native american um had some mayan ancestry and he would take me to a native american reservation to do sweat lodges and, and a lot of the other fighters like john fitch and kane and a lot of the guys from aka and then eventually started working with me with plant medicines so this happened probably starting in like 2010. And um, when it came time to retire, I always knew like if I was 500 or below, you know, at any level of the game, that it wasn't baseball, you know, like it's going to take a toll on my body. And, um, you know, 
500 batting average is phenomenal, but not when you're, when you're getting hit in the head. <laughs> and, um, you know, if I wasn't going to excel at any level, then there was no point in doing it. And so when I went into my last fight, uh, I knew that if I was going to, that if I lost that fight, I'd retire. What has allowed me to stay retired is that anytime I felt that itch, um, I've had the plants as tools, you know, I've had these incredible psychedelic experiences. And so, you know, there's, there is something that arises in us that, I mean, even just like from a biohacking or optimization standpoint, I learned so much when I was at Onnit as director of human optimization and I got introduced to new coaches and different training techniques and all these things. And it's like, man, I really want to be able to apply. I wish I could apply everything that I know now to that sport, which is the ultimate test. And, um, you know, every time I had those inclinations, I could drop into a psychedelic journey and just like evaporate, you know, any, any type of uh, desire to fight again. It's like, oh yeah, there's, there's so much more to life. And really, I think one of the many things that those experiences have done for me is it allowed me to, to not identify myself as that thing, you know, to, to witness it for what it was at this tiny pocket of my life where I spent every waking moment as a professional fighter. And before that it was football and before that it was something else. And, and, you know, I didn't know what I was going to be when I grew up. I still don't really know. I know that I'm a student more than anything. And I just allowed my intuition to guide me to things that I'm really attracted to. Like, what do I want to study? Who do I want to dive into now? And, um, that's really prepared me for the work that I do now with Aubrey Marcus fit for service as a coach, but, uh, and the work I was doing it on it, you know, where I was, you know, director of human optimization, helping people really upregulate health, wellness and health on all levels, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. So that's it in a nutshell, really, you know, we can, we can take it anywhere you want from there, but that's, that's kind of the, the bullet point checklist. Dude, that's so cool to, to hear. Cause I think that the key, key thing that I heard you saying there that, was different is that you're able to remove yourself from this thing and be like, okay, well, I'm not just a fighter. This is a facet of who I am. And this is something that I've done. And that's not fucking common, man. That is not common at all. You know, like, um, I have a, I have a, a dear friend of mine that just started telling me that on hard sparring weeks, he starts to get depressed the next week and he's starting to notice these like cognitive things. And I was like, yeah, man, well, maybe, time to start planning an exit. And he's like, nah, man, live by the sword, die by the sword. And I'm like, no, man. And, and, and like you said, my first thought, it's funny, I just sat in my first ayahuasca ceremony a few weeks ago. And like this reoccurring thing, you know how like Southern Christian gospel folks will be like, man, y'all need Jesus. I like, y'all need ayahuasca just like keeps coming in my head. I'm like, dude, you're not, you are not this thing that you think you are. You're so much more. Um, I think that's the direction we should go, dude. Cause I haven't really gotten to dive in with anyone about. Let's do it, brother. Let's okay. go deep. But yeah, right. I just, I want to comment on that. You know, I had the same, I think it's natural. The first time I did ayahuasca and I had had a handful of, of mushroom ceremonies with my coach and, um, and outside of that experience, but really with him curated, you know, uh, with respect and reverence and tension, the whole deal and the sweat lodge included. And then we went to ayahuasca and I was like, wait, <laughs> hang up the fucking phone. This exists. Like there's something like this on the planet. And I don't, I, I will be dive into your experience. I'm not sure to the depths that you went, but I was like, I had no idea that something like this was available. I had no idea. I mean, it, it, and I've had mushroom journeys that exceeded my ayahuasca journeys because they're dose dependent, but 
up until that point, I experienced nothing like ayahuasca. And I wanted to shop from the mountaintops. Like, this is what we need to do. And then over time, like, oh, yeah, you know, there's not a lot of people that are ready for this experience. And then over further time, like, I don't even want to give it to fighters until they're ready to retire. You know, like, yeah. it made fight for me, fighting became not important. It was like, you're, you're so focused on this thing. And it's like, here's what it's done for you. But you've extracted 90 plus percent of it. You're not going to get to that last 10 percent. You know, so like there's, you're just, you're, you're putting so much, so many eggs in one basket and it's this tiniest sliver of what life has to offer. Yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting. I think that that's an important thing, dude, because like uh, I'm good friends with Rashad Evans and that was what happened with him too, dude, was he did the toad and he was like, all right, man, I'm out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, so it's like, I think there is that, you know, for me, what was really weird about it is like, I'm a skeptic by nature and I'm the guy that, you know, I've always, I've always had a deep reverence for psychedelics and, and their importance. And they, they really helped me um, figure out how I relate to the world. Um, you know, but much like there's not a lot of things like, um, like fighting or being a musician because it really does. It encompasses your whole personality. It's how everyone you meet relates to you. Like, Oh, you're that UFC guy. Oh yeah. You're sat sunk. So it's this weird thing where it's like, it's not just how you identify, it's how people identify you, you know? So it's this weird feedback loop. And, you know, being a skeptic, I always come back to the, the thing with, with psychedelics of like, okay, well, this is, there's this biological thing that's happening where I take this substance and it's lighting up a different part of my brain. So it's letting me observe things in a different view. And everyone had always talked about like, well, grandmother ayahuasca, it's this thing that comes and visits you. And I was always kind of like, well, no, dude, it's dimethyltryptamine. And then, you know, there's like a thing that helps it stabilize and stay in your system. And boy, was I wrong. I think that's, I think that's what makes it, that made it so different for me was it really was like, it wasn't like an, any other psychedelic because it, that's what it felt like, where it was like, no, this thing came and visited me and like pulled this curtain back and was like, okay, man, here it is. It's your, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's here to do with what you choose, you know? And like, for me, what was really cool was I went in fully expecting like some really deep, intense, shitty shadow work. Um, and was like, yep, I'm going to be purging and shaking and moaning. And, um, I was really lucky while it was very, very intense, uh, and kind of scary at times. It was really reaffirming for me of like, no man, this is what you were put here to do and you must do it. Like you can't do anything else. So like everything else can be details, but this is really it for you. This is why you're here. So that was, fuck, it left me feeling so heavy of just like, oh shit. So fuck the spirit realm confirmed that this is what I have to do now, you know, like, um, but for you, was it the very first experience that you had where you had that, had that kind of download that it might be time to, to do something else? No, I mean, it's, it's, I had had a break when we got introduced because I had a um, uh, shoulder surgery and uh, it took me out for like a year and I, it was a sna injury snatching where I tore my uh, labrum in my, my right shoulder and that's a long injury to heal. And that's, I think, right around the time we started working with ayahuasca. And there was, there was some feelings of wanting to come back initially, you know, and that, that I had one more fight after that. But, um, you know, I mean, there's just, there's too many things to list, you know, like, like concepts from 
Eastern mysticism on reincarnation and things like that, or the nature of reality and why we're here, like the, just detailed answers that were viscerally understood, not from a, um, you know, left brain logical, oh yeah, that makes sense, but like a felt experience. And, you know, for me, those are the most undeniable things. I think um, uh, Dennis McKenna talks about that, you know, like religion tells you what to believe about God and psychedelics give you the direct experience of God in theogens, mm. right? To literally be in God. And, uh, and we're always in, I mean, spirit is everything. As, as Paul Selig says, all is of or nothing is. That was another one, a visceral understanding of animism, you know, like to see that whatever soul I have, the awareness and consciousness that animates me is in all things. Like to open my eyes and witness that in trees and birds and grass and everything. I mean, it sounds hippie, but it's like, holy shit. Like this is fundamentally one of the core issues we see in the world is the idea of separation, the idea of being alone, the idea of not being held. And that's a, it's, it's, you know, it's one of the largest distortions, if not the largest distortion in our understanding of reality. Like to, to viscerally understand that and know that we're always held, that we're never separate from and always with the one creator, that it's not somebody outside of myself with the white beard and the pearly gates. Like that is a fucking huge, huge thing to unpack. And, and, and I've had revisited that in many different ways on different subsequent journeys. But, you know, those were, especially those first few were probably the most profound, like life changing things and, and since then I've learned how to work with ayahuasca differently where it's more problem solving and, and not problem solving in like a mathematical way but problem solving in like a life attunement way you know like how can I be a better father um, how can I show up better to my wife in relationship you know things like that or how can I soften so that my communication reaches more people and is less off-putting you know especially if I'm talking about deep state and the powers that be and that kind of sure. stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah, the yeah, darkness yeah. that exists within the world. Um, so there's, there's, you know, there's, there's so many, I mean, it, it's truly an infinite wellspring, you know, like it's that rabbit hole is infinite because we are infinite in nature. And, and I think that's an important thing to understand. Like there's no one single ceremony that heals us. There's no one single ceremony that, you know, puts us to enlightenment. Enlightenment's kind of a funny term because it's, <clears throat> we are forever unfolding and we reach a mountaintop and then the, the, the fog clears and we're like, Oh shit, there's another mountaintop. Oh shit. There's another mountaintop for eternity. You know, that's, that's the nature of the game, at least as I, as I've come to understand it. And, um, but with that, there's grace, you know, we reach a certain level and we, we have a much deeper understanding as our awareness broadens of what has happened and what is coming. And I think from there, those are, you know, really, it can be earth shattering at times, but, um, it's the breath of fresh air that's needed for me, at least, you know, it's, it's one of the tools that allows me to have to, to, to really have a deep reverence for the mystery that we're in. And also at the same time, appreciation, you know, people talk about these things like gratitude and, and all these different terms that get tossed out loosely. And it's like, there's the, Oh yeah, this is amazing. You know, like that reminder of like, it's fucking perfect just the way that it is with all of the twists and turns, all the curveballs, all the challenge, all the hardship, and um, I think that's probably one of the greatest gifts that I've had from these experiences for sure. Well, I, dude, I relate to so much of what you just said. And I think the thing is, is that religion is this like fear-based motivation, right? It's like, well, if I don't do this, this, and this, then the white bearded guy at the pearly gates might not let me in where like, I feel like 
post psychedelic experience, it's usually this excitement based thing of just like, oh my God, I'm participating in this miracle of life. I have the opportunity to be a better father. I have the opportunity, like my palate, it, for me, it's always like a palate cleanser. Like it wipes the, the pain and clean. It covers it in gesso again. And you're just like, oh my God, I can rebuild it any time. And I think that's why it's so profound for, um, you know, for, for people leaving fighting or soldiers with PTSD. Is it really like if it's received properly in the set and setting is there has this ability to wipe the slate clean and just kind of like rub your face in the magic of just like, holy shit, we can start over, you know? and for me, I, I relate too to what you're saying uh, uh, of just that, you know, on night two of, of the ceremony, <laughs> my plan was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go as hard as I went last night. You know, I kind of want to like, I wasn't ready to drink again. The whole day I was dreading it. I was like, I don't want to do this shit again. Like in the middle of my experience last night, I was like, as soon as this is over, I'm driving home, you know, <laughs> like I'm fucking leaving. And um, what happened night two for me was that um, everything just really came to life and, and this great understanding of, oh, this whole feeling of spirit and this activity of like you're saying, the birds, the grass, the wood, like all of these things, this language is always being spoke. We just don't have the natural translator in us to, to tune into it. And I feel like that's the, um, the importance of psychedelics, right? And we were sold this bill of goods growing up that like, well, yeah, man, if you use psychedelics, they're going to make you dumb. And I'm like, <laughs> we're starting to see that that's not really the case because most people that I know that, um, that dabble in these practices, um, like you're saying, are approaching life with this open heart of teach me. I know there's no end goal. Just show me what I can do better. You know, and man, we, we kept joking uh, at the end of ceremony the next day during integration of like, what if that was the that was the final step to hold public office? Was it was like, okay, you did it, you've won your votes, and now you have to do this to make sure you're really ready for it. Cause I could, you know, <laughs> I'd like to think that at least 50% of people would be like, oh yeah, dude, I don't want this job. Never mind, I'm good. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah there, there's an openness that that um, you know, when I was just in Austin a few months ago, dude, it just really filled me up. Because I'm like, I teeter-totter between this, this line of like hard-ass dude that trains all the time and get really stuck in that world. But I also am like very inspired by the ethereal um, and Eastern thought. Um, and it was so cool to go to Austin and be like, oh, there's a bunch of these hybrids. Like, you know, like they're the, I don't know very many of them where I live. So it's so cool to, to, to get to meet dudes like you and Aubrey and Justin Wren and like, dude, they're just such a cool squad of humans down there. Um, how did you and Aubrey meet? We met, um, it's funny. I had a, I was actually sitting with ayahuasca in Las Vegas where they flew in a ship people, a shaman from Peru. And it was my third night after I had ironed out a lot of the kinks around <clears throat> family and, um, uh, you know, our next child coming to be all those, big life life issues and then i started getting into the nitty-gritty stuff around work and um i was telling me like i needed to go to austin to paleo effects and i was like ah, i've already learned everything from these guys from their books i'm not gonna learn anything new watching them speak on stage for 20 minutes and you know i would continue with uh you know you gotta 
you got to go to meet people and you're not going to go to learn anything It's to meet people. And, you know, of course I, I acquiesce and I wind up in Austin. I meet Aubrey. We share the same flight back to Vegas at the time, which is where we were living. And um, they were looking to open the next Onnit gym there. And we just traded war stories around ayahuasca, plant medicines, fasting, fighting, pretty much everything that I had been studying for the last eight years. And uh, by the end of the flight, he was like, you got to come with me to Burning Man. I want to take, I want to take you into <laughs> Burning Man. And uh, I think you need to come work for me at Onnit. And I had a good thing going in, in uh, Vegas, but you know, we, we, we took the leap of faith and moved out and the rest is history. You know, like we've, I mean, he's my best friend. We've been through many journeys together. Um, and of course, you know, he, when he, he stepped down from on it, I left about a year ago as well. And, uh, we've really had our focus on fit for service, which is his mastermind. And you know, what's cool is like fighting gave me the impetus to want to know more. It was a reason to, to need to prepare myself and fit for service has been that as well. You know, like coaching people has really helped me to, to keep the sword sharp. And then of course, at the same time, just as with the podcast, like I want to know this information first for myself and then share that with the world. So I've been able to, to kind of scratch the itch of the never ending need to know more and the need to experience more. And I've had, you know, these, these kind of hot coals burning underneath me, keeping that fire going. So, uh, Aubrey and I, Aubrey and I hit it off right from the jump, man. I mean, it's been, it's crazy to think that it's only been four years, but it's been incredible. Speaking of incredible, I want to tell you about the flagship product over at Onnit, Alpha Brain. Uh, it was the first Onnit product that I ever used. Uh, it has helped me immensely uh, in being present with word recall, flow state. Um, when I was at the tail end of COVID, I was using it and it, it really got rid of the brain fog with, with within the last week of taking it. Um, my experience with it has been absolutely phenomenal. I can't say enough about this product. Uh, and they just released a new version of Alpha Brain, uh, Alpha Brain Black Label, which has touch of caffeine, little higher dose, um, game-changing supplement. Um, if you are interested in trying to improve your cognitive function, seeing if this supplement is right for you, I promise if you try Alpha Brain, you will want to go try all of the other Ana products because... That was what I did. Um, but head to onnit.com, use code SATSUNG at uh, checkout, S-A-T-S-A-N-G, and uh, and give it a try. You'll get a discount if you use that code. So give it a try. Anyway, onward. Yeah, I love that. To, to me, man, that's what martial arts is. I think that's why I'm so addicted to it, is like, there's really no end goal. Like, I feel like that, especially with jujitsu, is it's like, dude, I... When I was down there, I rolled with, um, I got invited to Roca. So I rolled with like Lovato and Shanji and Tim Kennedy. And I just was like, I think I might burn my gi. You know, I was like, <laughs> I like to think I'm a pretty good purple belt, man. And I rolled with those dudes and I was just like, well, fuck, <laughs> you know, like shit. And it's like, but that's it, right? It's the pursuit of the bottomless. It's like, the goal is to know more, not to master it, you know? Um, so I'm coming to, to a fit for service uh, the one in at the end of July. Um, but I don't really know anything about it other than, than brief conversations that I've had with Justin, who, who's a dear friend of mine. Um, why don't you tell me a, a bit about it? Cause I don't know anything about it really. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll start with the beginning. Aubrey was out at spirit quest with Don Howard in Peru and was doing a, a set of Wachuma ceremonies. And he was really looking for guidance on what he could birth to the world 
world and what it needed right now. And this was what came to mind was this idea of forming a tight knit community where we could take people through transformative experience. You know, we would teach them the things that we know, but it would also be hands-on. And obviously there's some legal parameters around what we can get hands-on with, but, um, you know, truly, you know, and for people that aren't in, in the psychedelics, like I always say, there's, there's so many, so many avenues for altered states of consciousness, you know, and, and really the ancients knew that from, um, spending time in darkness in a cave, you know, Aubrey did six days in darkness out in Germany, but that's what people built caves and tombs underneath a lot of the sacred sites, Egypt, the pyramids, uh, even cathedrals and churches had these underground layers where people would go in, uh, into darkness for a period of time and then come out the other side, different people. Fasting the original vision quest, no food, no water for four days. I mean, that's guaranteed to have an altered state of consciousness. Different tribes in Africa will dance while fasting around the fire until they collapse and enter an altered state. And of course, there's easier ways to get there too, you know, where you, you still get to have food and water and oh, holotropic, yeah, holotropic <laughs> breath work, shamangelic breath work. We have Anahat to lead that every year in Sedona at the end of the year. Um, but it's this idea that we take about 150 people, Dunbar's number, and they stand for a minimum of one trimester. And then at the end of that trimester, you know, week long, we're taking people through weekly challenges on different ways to improve physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And then at the end of that, we have a container where we walk people through these experiences together. And, um, you know, it's one of those things where when we started three years ago, we weren't sure how it was going to you know, come to fruition or how it was going to play out, but it's, it's, it's total is greater than any of its parts. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It has morphed into something well beyond what Aubrey had intended. And um, it's, it's really cool. People come and go and they still stay a part of the community. You know, we, we see at these events, old members and people that have, that have kind of left the community that are still in the community. They're still joined up. There's, uh, it's a way for people to meet. It's a way for people to network. But beyond all that, it's a way for people to go through these practices together that are truly life-changing. And to be held in a container of, of like-minded individuals who are still learning every day. You know, Aubrey's learning every day. I'm learning every day. Eric Godsey, Caitlin Howe. And then we bring in experts. We bring in East Forest. We bring in Paul Selig. We bring in guys like yourself, you know, to take people through their music, their medicine, uh, their channeling, their anything, any gift that they have. Tim Corcoran, we had out who learned under Bill Plotkin at Gilbert Walking Bull. And, and he, you know, he does these guided vision quests, but he took us through like the microdose version of that, which is called a soul wander. And he's been at a couple events and these are powerful experiences out in nature, you know, where nature begins to communicate with you. And he's, he's teaching people subtly how to build that bridge. So for as many avenues as they are, we're constantly seeking, constantly searching, and then grabbing these people and bringing them together. And that's really what it's been about, you know, uh, the ongoing, you know, we have some members that have been there from the start three years ago, you know, been in, they've been in every one of these events. And recently we opened up the Fit for Service Academy, which is an app for, for everyone, because we understand there's a price point that limits certain people from getting into the actual fellowship. And, um, you know, just the cost of the events is, is it's a lot for people to travel. We have members from all over the world, from Lithuania, Australia, the UK, you name it. And so people are coming from all over the place to get to these events. And um, it's pretty, pretty fucking powerful. You know, we were doing this last year and for people to hug in August when we thought the world was going to end, you know, this, this invisible boogeyman that turned out to not be shit was uh, on its full hype train, you know, to be able to hug one another and squeeze people and 
feel each other face to face and have those mm. direct interactions with human beings. I mean, that was a priceless fucking experience and it just wasn't offered anywhere else. Like just there, nobody was doing it. And, um, you know, the fact that we've been able to ride through all these and, and keep in mind, not have people kill over and die after 150 right. people do breath work together and hug each other. It says a lot, you know, it says a lot about what health actually is. It says a lot about what container we are providing. And, um, it's been powerful, man. I mean, you're going to see this. It's one thing to talk about it, you know, just like psychedelics, it's another thing to experience it. And you're going to get to experience it firsthand and really witness who these people are, where they're coming from. And, you know, each trimester we have people come and go about 40 or 50 will leave 40 or 50 will come. And it's almost this seamless integration of onboarding. We bring people on. And of course we've got coaches and things like that, where it's their primary job to get people on board. But I say that to say that we, there's, an attractive field that we've accumulated and it's drawing the right people in and the people that are willing to do the work are the ones that are showing up and we're, we're getting some pretty amazing results from it. Yeah, man. I think, I think it's so important a that fuck that adults have community, you know, it's, it's something that's so lacking. And I think the biggest thing that, that will come out of uh, the post COVID era, at least that I'm seeing is people need people. And I think everyone kind of forgot that because they're used to, you know, there's always this thing where everyone thinks they're a fucking island and it's like, well, if you're not, a, you know, not allowed to see other people for a while, it's, it's crazy how quick people are flocking back. You know, concerts are selling through the roof, festivals selling through the roof, like retreats, all this stuff. Um, and not only need people, but I think so many people are ready to do the work that you're talking about. You know, that was, that was the other big takeaway from ceremony for me is like looking around at a room of just there, dude, there were some alpha ass dudes there. You know what I mean? Like special forces, Marine Raiders, fuck mechanics, stay at home moms. But the, the thing that was overwhelming to me is like, no one came here for a good time. Everyone came here to do work. You know, like this isn't the fun and games that we had when we were kids experimenting with drugs. No one is taking this lightly. Um, and I think with the narrative that um, people are dumb and society's getting dumber, well, there's definitely some things to point to that that may be true. I also think we're seeing a huge awakening where people are knocking at that door of like, I think there's more. I just don't have the tools to see it. So they're seeking out people like yourself that can be like, well here's this whole world I've experienced and I can take you there if you want, <laughs> you know, like I can show you what I know. Um, and to me, that's been so important, you know, of like, um, of just working through trauma and bullshit and realizing how many personality traits um, and ways that I related to the world that I just didn't need anymore. You know, that used to serve me of this, like, no man, I'm this stoic. I don't have feelings. I just work through shit and then we move on, you know? Um, and purposely intentionally digging in like, fuck dude, why am I such a dick to myself? You know? And like, what's a softer way? Um, which leads me into what I really want to talk to you about is your take on this new, there seems to be this new masculinity being birthed that to me is just the coolest fucking thing in the world. Cause like I said, everything used to be separate, right? It was like, well, if you're a fighter, 
and a weightlifter and like that's your vibe, then you're kind of over here. And if you're like a psychonaut, then you're over here and you're super skinny and you wear linen clothes and you don't congregate with these freak athletes, you know, and everything was kind of separate. And I feel like what's really special about On It and now Fit for Service is there's this like merging of the worlds that are like, oh man, you can be all of the things, you know? And to me, that is like the ultimate download that I've had from all of my psychedelic experiences. You don't have to pick between being a badass, being a musician, being a parent, being a partner. It's like, no, the beauty is being all of those things and putting on the right hat for the right occasion, you know? Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Cause I know that's kind of at the heart of the work that you guys do, right? Is this, yeah, I mean, we're, that's that's every year we have a different theme. And this year, you know, first trimester was the sacred feminine. This trimester right now is the sacred masculine. I actually just did a podcast with Aubrey and, and Eric Godsey on Aubrey's podcast, uh, speaking to kind of the the dovetail switchover of the end of the feminine and the beginning of the masculine. And, and then our final trimester is the sacred union. And one of the things that it's important, you know, it's <laughs> it's so funny because of the world we live in right now and, you know, there's a hundred different sexes and a hundred different genders and a hundred different, whatever the fuck, you know? And it's just like, mm, we have, have biology and we also have spirit. And within that spirit, all of us hold masculine and feminine. It's undeniable. Everyone has a masculine and a feminine side. Everyone is polarized. Everyone has a positive and a negative. And, and if we can access that, we can truly live as a fully expressed human, right? A feminine speaks to me through the emotional body it's my ability to listen, to receive, it's receptivity. The masculine is doing. If feminine is being, masculine is doing, it's structure, it's, uh, it's the work that I put out in the world. It's actually showing up and getting something done. And it's analytical, it's thinking through things and rationality. And it's, and it's much more than these tiny ass cliff notes that I'm giving. But so I think what you're speaking to though is, is kind of the, the changing of what male men in the world are doing, you know, how they show up in, in less of the bravado bullshit and more of the heart open and honest and still knowing that uh, in order for me to speak about having a feminine side, that does not take away from my ability to defend myself or my ability to operate as a father or a husband. It actually enhances me because it makes me a better human to fully understand all the parts that are within me. Um, so I think that's what we're seeing now of. We're seeing people that want to show up and, and it doesn't mean like, oh yeah, you know, these alpha males are doing ayahuasca and they think they figured it all out. Sure. That's not it at all. Um, you know, and, and we see that we see these, these different, you know, on the sliding scale of masculine and feminine, we see that within gay couples and lesbian couples. I've got, I've got plenty of homies where one inherently pairs with the other and one slightly more masculine than the other. And that's just, that doesn't matter if they're both women or both men, we see that in these couples. So, and I see that even in, in heterosexual couples. I have a, a friend of mine that I always talk about who's, you know, his wife is super mathematical based. She does all the, all, all the bill pay. She runs their business and he's an intuitive and he, you know, does body work and he's very feminine in nature and it works for them because they paired up like they should have paired up, you know, like that they've attracted these opposites together. But within that, um, you know, with what I see in men, it's, it's like, it's important to understand, like, it's not just 
a softening for the sake of softening. It's an, it's a, it's a figuring out of what these archetypes are and how they express through us. You know, it's a greater awareness of what is living within each of us and asking to be witnessed. And, you know, it's, it's not just wearing, you know, uh, dressing metrosexual and, and being a social justice warrior where, you know, you jump in on the me too bandwagon and how, yeah, how could he, I'm here for you, honey. You know, none of that bullshit. It has to do with, with, really understanding how we honor the feminine within each of us first and foremost in our own personal kingdom and then how we honor that in our partners and how we honor that on the whole and you know we see they talk about this in king warrior magician lover which is in large part a book for men but it's it's an excellent book for women too to understand men better and then also you just substitute the king archetype for the queen archetype it's a pretty fucking even fit but one of the things they talk about is you know how we have attributed the king archetype and the warrior archetype to negative archetypes because we've only seen the mm -hmm. shadow expression of those archetypes. You look at the military industrial complex or any of our world leaders, you see shadow versus those leaders and you just assume that a king and a warrior are shadow archetypes, but that's not the case. There's a shadow and a light side to any archetype. And it's important that, to recognize that if we don't understand the full expression of those archetypes, we can't move into the light side of those. And uh, we have a lot of adolescent wounded boys dressed up in adult male bodies. And one of the ways that the feminine females have tried to combat that is by putting on shadow warrior, shadow king suits. You know, we see, we see fire being fought with fire. There's a, a great story from Anahata Nanda, who's a, a beautiful medicine woman who has twin kids. They're in their early 20s. And she talked about when Trump got, first got into office, her daughter wanted to go to a women's march. And immediately Anahata knew what was gonna happen. She was like, okay, I want you to go, but I want you to pay really close attention to who's there in love of the feminine, who's there to support women. And conversely, who's there with anger and hate and anti-men, you know, with that as their primary objective. And she's like, okay, I'll take a look. She goes back and she's like, mom, you were right. Like, there was no one there that was, you know, like in love of women. There was, it was all hate for Trump, hate for men. And it was this very fiery, angry rage that was coming out. And it's like, we have to learn how to work with our emotions. Emotional intelligence and emotional IQ is a big part of growing up and becoming adults. And uh, something I learned from Mary Margrave is, is this tear system of anger because, you know, any emotion is going to speak through the feminine. And if I stifle that or stuff it down, that's not fully, that's not fully allowing the feminine to speak through me, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do anything. And if we act out of rage, rage aims to destroy. That doesn't rebuild the world. It doesn't resolve anything if we're aiming to destroy. So rage aims to destroy unclean anger contains blame and resentment, and it aims to hurt or harm another. That's where we see 90% of the population right now, especially on social media. We have to move down from rage, down to unclean anger and finally get to clean anger which does not contain any blame or resentment and it aims to resolve and if we act from there then we actually can find resolution and start to rebuild something better than than whatever it is that we're trying to replace it with and so i think that that these these really you know these are rational ways to word it because I'm using words and language to frame it. But if we have that understanding and reference point, that's a broadening of awareness. And then how I act on that awareness 
is up to me. That's how I show up. That's the male masculine doing, you know, but I think all these things are super prominent right now. And, and we see it on both sides. We see unconscious masculine in the feminine, in women. We see unconscious masculine for damn sure in men. And we really have to start to bridge that gap and learn what is the positive masculine, what are the positive feminine traits, and how do we interact with those to heal a world that's that's pretty far divided right now. Yeah, man. Holy shit. There's so much in there. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I think what's, what's very weird about the world, I like that you kept pointing at social media because there's like, it's created this echo chamber of this curated experience where people that think like you or what you see and people that don't think like you are demonized. Um, I had a really interesting thing. Do you know JP Sears? Yeah, he's a good buddy. God love him to death. Okay. So I had him on the podcast and for two weeks, dude, I was getting bombarded by fans of people like, fuck you, you misogynist pig. Like people were so angry at me, a for just having a conversation with JP but B, if you know JP, he's one of the sweetest, most together dudes ever. There's not like a mean bone in his body. Like you're saying, any anger that he has is really clean. As you said, it's like, okay, well, yeah, this seems fucking stupid. So like, how can we get to the bottom of it? You know, and, and I get that his, that his sense of humor isn't for everyone, but I was really amazed at like people making memes about me and, um, and him and this whole this whole thing was, was, was assumed because of me and JP are friends that I think everything that he thinks and that we share the exact same opinions and that overall the whole thing is toxic. And, and it was really interesting to me to see that online tribalism take hold where people are just like, um, the fact that I do martial arts means I'm a misogynist. The fact that I lift weights means I'm a misogynist, like all of these just weird things. And, and something you said earlier in what you were just saying is this, um, there's this weird breed of dude out there that goes, well, I'm going to be the ultra feminist, but ultimately it's so women like you. So it's like, so weird, if we're going to be fucking real about this, your circle is I'm going to appear to be an ultra feminist online to make females like me so I can find a partner. Well, so it's, it's like, also, <laughs> it's, it's also, it's, I mean, that, is, that is at its core. And at the same time, it's the guy who doesn't lift weights, who has never been in a fight before, who, you know, and, and look, there's plenty of dudes who I'm, I'm homies with a lot of people who don't play sports. And to be clear, just so we're all clear, my son is a gifted, extremely gifted athlete. He's just turned six years old. If he never plays a single sport, and wants to be a concert pianist and brings a boyfriend home, I'm going to, that dude, his boyfriend will be my other son. Like he, he can choose anything he wants to do in this life. And I love him unconditionally and will hold him through all of it. I'm not to decide his life. I'm not to plan it for him. I am to hold him through every experience that he needs holding and allow him to live his life. And he could choose whatever he wants. Once I don't give a shit. I'm not a trophy dad. That's like, Oh, he's going to play quarterback at, at UT Dawson. Like, no, there's none of that in me. And at the same time, there are certain experiences that people go through that allow them to know themselves a little bit better. Fighting is one of them. I'm not saying it's for every hunting is one of those experiences. You, you fucking want to sit. A, I, mean, I mean, these conversations uh, around veganism and things like that. It's like, man, 
um, if people had a connection to their food, they might realize this is the only time in human history where we've ever decided to go without a certain thing, a carnivore too. Like we, we have the ability to choose one or the other. Humans are opportunists. We survived on what was available to us. For certain mm -hmm. tribes, that was, that was just yams. For certain tribes, it was just seal blubber and things like that. But for the most part, we're opportunists and we were omnivores. So the fact that we can choose to only eat meat or only eat vegetables, that's a conversation in and of itself. But Well, and the fact think, that, th that those things have become like trophies to someone of like, well, I'm better than you because I choose to do this. And that's, yeah. that's my whole point. It's just, it's similar to the badge of, I mean, even, even the, how I identify like the, this conversation we started with on psychedelics have allowed me to break through the identity of being a fighter. That's not who I am. It's what I did. And even though I consider myself a lifelong martial artist and for various reasons, even if I'm not competing anymore, doing any of these things, that is how I enact the word archetype within me. Um, if people don't go through certain experiences in life, then it's super easy to be afraid of the thing you don't know. It's super easy to say that, that I'm going to attach, you know, like there's, if, if fighters go through this, imagine what people do when they become team blue or team red or, you know, team pro women or team this or team that team plant, you know, like it's the same thing over and over again, played out in a myriad of ways. And without the deep inner work, there's no way to really reframe that. You're not going to get reframed online. You know, it's, it's hilarious that I, I don't get that at all from, from when I have JP on, I get people clapping saying, thank fucking God you had this guy on your podcast. And you know, it's interesting because of how, how all this COVID-19 as well as social media has played out politically. Um, I'm from the Silicon Valley. I'm born and raised in the Bay area. Most of my listeners on my podcast are from LA, Austin and New York city, which are highly blue zones. And yet, you know, in all of my exposing of, of the um, shenanigans, uh, we could put it that way lightly, the shenanigans around what's happened over the last year, I haven't lost a single listener. I've gained listeners, you know, yep. and, and I, don't, I don't get that same feedback with the JPs having those guys on because the audience that I have, even if they consider themselves progressive, they're not extreme. You know, and so it's, it's interesting that you had some, some of the extremists on the backlash there because, you know, nobody, if anybody does digging, would understand that about JP. I mean, clearly what you're seeing there is people lumping him into a box and then lumping you into that box through the conversation you have with